Hi, everyone. This is the February 5th ASF Weekly Science Podcast, and I'm happy to have a guest this week, and I'll talk a little bit about her in a second. But as a way of introduction, since the pandemic, the use of telehealth or video-based evaluation measures to identify early signs and features of autism has really become the new normal. Realistically, however, we always needed these tools. First, not everyone lives in an area of the world where they have access to an expert clinician, and wait lists are crazy. Second, not everyone has an autism diagnosis or is concerned about an autism diagnosis. And we all know what a normal pediatrician visit looks like. So there's really not the time to spend to get objective measures about behavioral development in infancy. It's really been hard to link developmental milestones to these sorts of outcomes because of the nature of trajectories. You'd have to track a lot of infants up to the time that you want to see some sort of behavioral outcome like autism. And again, no normal well baby checkup has this intense observation that is needed. So what, if anything, can be done over the computer? What if you use something like Zoom or FaceTime to track a baby's development? As it turns out, some of the tools needed to do this have existed even before the pandemic, and my podcast guest today has developed some ideas about how these video tools can be used to help understand very early features of autism for better identification, intervention and supports. So I wanna introduce you to Dr. Elena Tenenbaum. She's a past ASF fellow for full disclosure, but is now an assistant professor at Duke University. She's also a psychologist and a researcher who specializes in language and cognitive development. And with colleagues, she's established an amazing meeting on language and autism, which I'll ask her to describe. But for now, she's recruiting infants who are very young to participate in a new research study about early development and later outcomes. And you don't have to be located in North Carolina near Duke to participate in it. It's via video. So she's here to talk about it today. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Tenenbaum. Thank you so much for having me. That was a fantastic introduction of all the things I'm excited to share today. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. So you've had a, uh, uh, you've been in this field for a while. Tell us how you got started um, and what you're doing now, how you've evolved into your research questions and your research priorities. Yeah, so I have always been really interested in communication specifically. Um, this started in high school. I grew up in New York. I was uh, doing an internship at the New York School for the Deaf. And then later I went to teach English in Japan for three years. And I was fascinated while I was there about how I was really struggling to learn Japanese and the 13 year olds I was teaching were really struggling to learn English. And my daughter's two year old was doing just fine at picking up the language <laughs> uh, that she was learning. And so I became really interested in language and the brain and why those differences happen. And I came back to do my PhD in cognitive science. And I was working in a baby language acquisition lab at Brown with Jim Morgan. And I was studying how social attention relates to language acquisition. And the work clearly had implications for autism, but I didn't know very much at the time about what autism looked like, um, how that presents in kids. And I was trying to read up on it and just not getting a very clear sense. So I started volunteering at a really great organization in Rhode Island called the Autism Project, um, helping out with some social skills groups there. And I started shadowing a clinician, Steve Scheinkopf in Rhode Island. 
and realized that I really loved working with that population. Um, the kids and their ideas about how the world works and the way they use language was just um, so fun for me to encounter. And so in the fifth year of my PhD program, I decided uh, actually I wanna do clinical work. <laughs> So I went back um, and re-specialized in clinical psychology so that I could do that while at the same time, with huge thanks to the Autism Science Foundation, um, got funding to shift some of the work I was doing into the autism world. And I've never looked back. And it's been a really, really great experience all the way. So. Well, that's great. And now you're away from New York and in sunny North Carolina. Yes, <laughs> yes. Moving warmer. Moving warmer. Um, so since the pandemic, as I mentioned, virtual assessment um, and looking over Zoom or, or FaceTime, as I mentioned, to help identify early development in infants has become somewhat of the new normal. But you've been working in this area before COVID. So tell us what you think about the potential of using these video-based tools to better understand autism features. Yeah, so this work actually started um, with a researcher at MIT named Kim Scott. Um, at least the platform itself came from her work. Um, she was developing this pre-COVID to reduce barriers to participation in developmental studies. So a lot of the things we know about how infants develop came from uh, these looking time studies where we show videos to babies on the screen and we watch to see how long and which direction they look. And from that, we've been able to learn a great deal about uh, how cognition develops, how language develops. And Kim worked really hard to make this type of research accessible to folks regardless of where you live, how close you are to an academic medical center, for example, or a university lab, um, whether you can schedule during the work hours, whether your baby happens to be in a really good mood when you come in, all of those factors that went into participation before. Specifically for autism, we know that a lot of the children who end up with a diagnosis don't receive that diagnosis until three or later. And so these early stages are a lot harder for us to understand. In order to do that, we need to recruit big numbers of infants, even if we're able to capture infants at elevated likelihood for a diagnosis, those who might have an older sibling with the diagnosis. We need five times the target sample in order to get the information we need. And when we're dealing with something as heterogeneous as autism, we need a whole lot more than you might otherwise need if we want to make any meaningful progress in understanding what developmental development looks like. Also, for families with autistic children, we know that there's a lot going on. They've got a lot of appointments already and a lot of places to be and a lot of services. And so anything we can do to make it easier for families to participate is a huge benefit for us. As you mentioned, you're focusing on infants, which probably requires some special considerations. Obviously, you have to can't do this without their parents. They can't they normally have little or no language. And you've been working on a protocol to do this. So tell us about the study, what you're doing and what's involved. Yeah, I remember the first time I started reading articles about infant development, uh, finding it very funny, the number of babies listed as 
fuss out or they were <laughs> thrown out of the study because of sibling interference. And at the time I thought it was really funny. Uh, it became a lot less funny when I was trying to get my dissertation data <laughs> collected. But uh, the nice part about this kind of remote assessment is that we can really work with families to do it on their schedule. Uh, we don't need to coordinate a time with a lab member. They can schedule when the baby is happy and fed and awake and not needing a diaper change. And that makes a big difference in some of these studies. What's involved in the study? Yeah, great question. So Families can sign up whenever convenient on a website called Children Helping Science or through our links, and I'll share those with you, of course. And they give consent via video. Um, they'll record their information and indicate that they are comfortable doing this study. We won't access the data until we see that that consent is there. And then we show a number of videos. Um, these videos are based on lab-based studies that have taught us a lot about how infants develop attention and memory and prediction and word recognition and numeracy and even social evaluation. And so we have taken those videos and put them online so that infants can watch these from home we use the camera that's in your home computer to record the baby responding to those. And then if you decide that you are comfortable with sharing those videos with us, we receive that information through the Children Helping Science platform. And then we send our thank you of the Amazon gift cards that we provide to families who participate. So who's eligible? Like how, if you have an infant, how young um, does there have to be a history of autism in the family? Um, and what do families get out of it other than the gift card, if anything? Great question. The participants can be five to seven months. We're targeting, targeting that six month range or 11 to 13 months, targeting that 12 month range. And, uh, I think we are nearing um, the target number for the general population, but we're really interested in infant siblings of children who have a diagnosis of autism. So if a child in your family has a known diagnosis of autism and you happen to have a baby who's either six or 12 months, we would love to have you. So yes, so those families that have a, a child with autism and or have another one on the way. This is the perfect research study for you. You don't even have to go in and you get a gift card and you get um, some information about early developmental milestones. Yes, we are also collecting parent report on how these babies are developing and monitoring for anything that seems concerning as well. So what's the ultimate goal here? Um, are you building a new platform that, that people can use? Are you studying this? Is, you know, is it just the research question? Tell us what the ultimate goal is. The ultimate goal is for us to be able to collect meaningful data on a large group of infants so that we can better understand how early markers of autism in language, in cognition might come online 
Um, the One of the cool things about this study that I really enjoy is that we're interested not just in ways that infants who are going to go on to get an autism diagnosis might go astray from the typical developmental path, but also what remains intact. Um, this was a really cool question that was posed by um, someone we credit a lot for this project, which is Liz Spelke at Harvard, who's really interested in how infant development might uh, in some ways remain intact for children who go on to receive a diagnosis. And so that's one piece of the puzzle that we're really interested in as well. You just mentioned Liz Spelke, and you also mentioned MIT. So you're actually working with a really esteemed group. It's not just you and your office in Duke. There's a huge group of people. Well, huge. There's a many number of people helping to support this um, using their expertise. Do you want to tell us a little bit about them? I do. It's a phenomenal group of researchers and clinicians. I was incredibly lucky uh, to end up in this role it's a funny story. I think I actually um, was in part uh, able to do this because folks confused me with somebody who's very distinguished, a dear friend of mine, who also has a name that starts with E and also has dark hair, um, Elka Bergelson, who gave a presentation to some folks at uh, the Spark um, gathering on what's next in infant research that was hosted by the Simons Foundation. She uh, very kindly shared the concept of this work um, with me, knowing that it was a great match for my expertise as somebody who studied methods of infant language and cognitive development and somebody who knows a lot about autism. Um, it happened to work out very well, and I've had the great honor of working with some phenomenal people. My co-PI on this project is Shafali Jesti, the Chief of Pediatric Neurology at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. Um, Liz Spelke has been a wonderful senior mentor to us throughout this project. We have some really great scientists in developmental work. Casey Lou Williams at Princeton, Mike Frank at Stanford, Julie Markant at Tulane, Jen Wagner at CUNY, Kylie Hamlin from University of British Columbia, and Melissa Libertis at Pitt have all been helping us come up with these tasks to identify the critical questions in each of their areas of specialty on how babies develop. We've also got some great autism specialists, Suda Arunachalam, Rhiannon Leister, Steve Shankoff have been helping us with the baby sibs side of it and the uh, autism piece and some of our outcomes specialists. You have been a fantastic supporter of this work. We're grateful to have you involved, Alicia, and Summer Bishop, and Audrey Thurm, and Becky Landa. Um, it's been a phenomenal group to work with. And a good portion of my role is cat herder, but I love it. And there have been some really interesting discussions that have come out of this great group of people, and I'm thrilled to be doing it. So I'll put it in the podcast summary, but can you repeat the website that families should go to? Um, yes. The two webs, one or two websites where families can go yes. and learn more and express their interest. Yes. So you can check us out on Children Helping Science, and that's open to anyone interested in getting involved in research. That's not just for our study. There are some great studies available online there. Um, 
Also, our website that you can learn more about this specific study is sites.duke.edu slash rise battery. That's R-I-S-E battery, one word. And I'll send this to you as well. I'm going to put it in the podcast summary, and I'm also going to make sure that these sites are linked on our social media pages as well. Thank so you. finally, is there anything else that you're doing that you'd like the community to know about? Any upcoming meetings, any upcoming initiatives, anything that that would be of interest? Funny you should ask. We have a very exciting uh, meeting coming up this March. This is our second round of the meeting on language and autism. Um, this is a really exciting uh, a conference that came out of the realization among a bunch of language researchers who focus on autism that we didn't have a great place where all those people studying language in autism come together. A lot of us attended INSAR and some went to ASHA and just different conferences that we were attending. And we wanted one space where we could all come together and discuss this. Um, unfortunately, our first one was scheduled for March 12th of 2020 which did not go over so well, but we were able to successfully hold it last year in 2023. And it was a great productive discussion of some of the big questions in uh, language acquisition and autism. And now this year it's uh, grown even further and we have an incredibly exciting group of invited speakers who are gonna be doing a panel on intervention in language and a number of uh, keynote speakers um, giving us a sense of their trajectories in research in this area, as well as a lived experiences panel that we're really excited about. So for those of you who can't make it to North Carolina, I am going and I will try and summarize it for you in, an, uh, in a future podcast after the meeting's taken place, maybe in late March or something like that. So yeah, I not know everybody can't get to North Carolina. We're excited to have you. Well, thank you so much for telling us about this exciting study. And I hope our listeners um, are it's just as enthusiastic about it. And if you have a young child, especially if you have a young child, an infant, I guess, not just a young child, an infant, right. especially if you have an infant and an older child um, on the spectrum, Consider participating in this research study because it, it it you can do it anywhere. You do it from your home. You do it when you want to do it. All of these things that make research so much easier to participate in. But you're really offering kind of like the next step in how to better diagnose and um, evaluate kids with autism. So thank you for this opportunity. And uh, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.